want to welcome you to our Good Friday service. And as you have a seat, I want to encourage you to open your copy of God's Word. So turn with me to Mark chapter 15. If you don't have a copy, you're welcome to use one of the black Bibles that are located in front of you. And if you're new to reading the Bible, the page that will be on in that black Bible is page number 1013. Page number 1013. Particularly, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15, verses 42 and 47. As Providence would have it here on Good Friday, we're considering the actual events that took place on that first Good Friday service. Leading up to tonight's text, Jesus has been arrested. He's been tried as a criminal. In the morning, he was taken before Pilate. Who sent him to the stake, the cross. Before that, he was scourged and beaten. He was mocked and spit upon. And then he was led to the place of the skull, Golgotha, where he would die. Where he himself would give up his own life. Wouldn't be taken from him. He would give it up. He would die. There on Golgotha. He hung on the cross for several, several hours, writhing in pain, only to finally lay his life down and to give up his spirit. As we consider the events of Good Friday, as we consider Jesus on the cross, I want to ask you, can you see him there? Use your imagination. Hear the scriptures. Hanging on the cross, lifeless now. His body still pinned to the jagged wood. The crowd begins to dissipate and to go their way. His life is over. Their day is coming to an end as well. The spectacle is complete. What now? What now? What will become of his body? Well, Mark chapter 15, verses 42 to 47 will help us to understand the next steps. And so let's look to God's word now. Verse number 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he was uh, summoning the, the centurion. He asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud. And taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that has been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene... And Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word this evening. Father, we come to you quickly now. And we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would use your word, which is inspired, given to us for life and for understanding. Father, it calls to our dead, dark hearts. It calls us to repent and to place our faith in Jesus. And Father, we pray that we would do that as a church this evening more and more to a greater degree as your spirit quickens our hearts. 
And Father, for those who are far from you this evening, as we ask every week, would they see Jesus high and lifted up? And would they be drawn to the beauty of his love and sacrifice? We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If I were to give you a main idea for this evening, I would say this. From this text, that Jesus' actual death opens the door to the kingdom of God. Jesus' actual death opens the door to the kingdom of God. I want to try to show you that that's the, the, the thrust of this text. And as I do that, I'll, I'll, I'll try to answer two questions that I think really, for me, rise to the surface. One question is, Mark, did Jesus really die? And second, did Joseph of Arimathea, did he ever find the kingdom? I'm going to show you that these two are connected. But first, let's look at, did Jesus really die? Throughout all the centuries since that first Good Friday, skeptics have proposed all sorts of suggestions, arguing that Jesus did not, in fact, truly die. And maybe you're wondering this evening the same thing. I suppose that if you're here in this place that you wouldn't caustically be arguing that he didn't, but maybe you're still in your heart of hearts wondering, did Jesus really die? It's possible that his followers lied. Or maybe that the executioners were sloppy and he didn't really die, he just was wounded greatly and somehow was revived in that cold tomb. Or maybe you're asking a different question totally. Maybe from another angle altogether, maybe you're wondering, how in the world, I believe that Jesus died, but how in the world could God die? Well, if any of those are close to what you're thinking, then you're in luck. Let's take a quick look at the text and see what Mark has to say, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course. In verse 42, it says, and when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before Sabbath. The, the time is Friday evening, somewhere between 3 and 5. Our text this evening lands us there. Remember that Sabbath is, is the next day. It's the day, day following, uh, or it's the day before the day of preparation. And so Friday was the day of getting ready and preparing your hearts and minds for and all your knickknacks and dinners and things that you're going to need because you can't work on the Sabbath. And so it's the day of preparation. It's Friday evening. What's more? Look at verse 43, it says, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. What was his intentions with the body of Jesus? Well, he wanted to give Jesus a proper burial, which wasn't just demonstrating that Joseph of Arimathea was a decent man, but it was a, he was a man that followed Jewish law. In contrast to Jewish law, which I'll explain in just a moment, we have Roman law. It would be helpful for you to know this, that the longer a criminal hung on the cross, the better. Why? Well, because the wild animals picking apart the body of a criminal, enemy of the state, would continue to serve Rome's interests, discouraging all other criminals from any sort of illegal activity that would be related or similar to what this criminal had done that's hanging. Finally, though, at some point the body would be removed from the cross after it had decayed to beyond a certain point. And uh, the benefit of it hanging there had 
run its course, and they would take the body and they would throw it in a dump. It was actually a law that those who were enemies of the state were forbidden to be burned. They were not to be given that right, that special privilege. But on top of the shame of being crucified naked, you'd be not permitted to be buried properly. In contrast, though, you have Jewish law, which actually required a burial for all bodies, even if you were an enemy of Israel or if you had been executed as a criminal. It also let us know very clearly in the, in the law that those who hanged or were crucified had to been taken down before sunset. Before the day ended, the body would have to be taken down. And so Joseph of Arimathea comes and takes the body or requests the body of Jesus at some point between 3 and 5. The Jewish Sabbath day begins at sundown on Friday. So the day of preparation is about to come to an end. And Joseph of Arimathea doesn't have much time. So he goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. We don't know much about this man, but we do know that he's a member of the Sanhedrin. And elsewhere in the gospel, we, uh, in the gospels, we, we see that he is actually a secret disciple, a secret follower of Jesus. And so with love for this man and honor and respect for the law, he comes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. Remember, there's not much time. Sunset, sunset will be coming soon. He doesn't have much time to give Jesus the burial that he deserves. But Joseph is hoping, he's hoping that he would be allowed. Verse 44 says that Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus would have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asks him whether he was indeed already dead. You might be asking this evening, why was Pilate surprised? Why would he be surprised that Jesus had already died? Well, the truth is that sometimes victims of the cross would languish and writhe in pain on their torture device for two or three days, some even longer. Before you think, well, Jesus died in the first few hours. Didn't even last an entire day. Is he some sort of a weak man that he failed to last as long as others would have on the cross? But before you begin to think that Jesus was a lesser man, consider that no man took Jesus' life. The cross didn't kill Jesus. You couldn't snuff his life out if you tried, and they did. Jesus says clearly, no man takes my life. I lay it down willingly. The scriptures tell us that Jesus, when he had cried aloud, gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit. He died. He laid it down himself. And so the time had come. It was finished. Jesus breathed his last, and he gave up his spirit. He was dead. Verse 45, and when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, this is Pilate, Pilate granted the corpse, a very clear term for the lifeless body of an individual, he granted the corpse to Joseph. I want you to notice a few things as we continue to ask this question. Did Jesus really die? Notice these two things. First, Pilate wanted to be sure that the sentence that he gave to Jesus was actually carried out. Jesus wasn't 
to be beaten mercilessly and then let go. So he could be nursed back to health. That wasn't what Pilate had determined. He wasn't to be embarrassed really bad, really shamed publicly as he was, and then let go. No, the assignment that Pilate had given to the Jews and to the centurions was that Jesus would die. And so before Pilate gives the body of Jesus to one of his followers, Pilate wants to make sure he really is dead. Notice another thing from that verse 45. Notice that Pilate sends a centurion to the to the site, to Golgotha, to verify Jesus' death. Who does he send? A centurion, a Roman soldier, trained in the art of war. We can assume that this man knew a dead body when he saw one. And not only would he, but the centurions that are standing there beside Jesus, Perhaps even the one that had taken the spear and thrust it into the side of Jesus and blood and water mingled together came out, knowing then at that point this man truly was dead. And one centurion relays to the other, and then on to Pilate. Not new to the craft, having seen these things before, Jesus is verified to be dead. It's what Pilate wants to know. It's what the centurions have relayed. And so now Joseph, knowing that Jesus is dead, comes and asks for the body. Pilate, once he finds out that the body is not alive but it is a corpse, he passes it off, having heard that the centurions as well all have signed off on Jesus' death certificate. Mark, without being too earnest, is allowing us to see exactly what took place Jesus, in fact, had died. Look at verse 46. Pilate has granted to Joseph the body of Jesus. And so on his way back out of the city, he stops and gets a linen shroud. Taking him down, it says in verse 46, he wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. We can assume that even though it says that Joseph did these things, that he had the help of his servants. Maybe some of his family, some of his sons potentially with him. They gather around the body of Jesus and they tenderly remove it from the cross. Likely they threaded the linen over the left beam and under his arm, crossed his chest under the other arm, back up over the other beam, putting tension on, climbing up and prying his hands from the nails. His body slumps into the linen cloth and slowly they ease him down to the ground. And then close by, he's taken to that garden tomb that had been cut out of the rock and he's placed there in the tomb. Placed on a shelf. Inside Joseph's own tomb. It had never even been used. Hewn out of the rock, just as the prophecies had foretold, in a rich man's tomb. And what does it say there in verse 46? That Joseph rolls the stone down that track 
against the entrance of the tombs. Tombs that were prepared for rich people in these days. We've found several of them that date back to the first century. They would often be sealed with a circular flat stone that would roll down a sloping groove until it was secured in front of the entrance. And that was all chipped away by professionals. It was there to keep out intruders and wild animals and in that way honor the dead. And one man could close it as that round stone would go down the track covering the hole. But to roll that stone back up would require the strength of several healthy men. Not, a, not one that was wounded. Not one that had fainted from the wounds that he had suffered. Verse 47, continuing to help us understand that Jesus did in fact die. We read in verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Again, Mark clearly tells us that these women were present and saw exactly where Jesus' corpse had been located. And in that way, these women serve the church. They serve the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might be asking, why are, why are we making a sermon of this? Why is this one of the points? This is a clearly established idea that Jesus, a historical figure in time and space, died and was buried. Well, I think it's worth us really focusing on what's taking place in this text. Why? Because we often consider the pain of the cross. And we consider what took place. We consider the statements that Jesus makes as he's writhing in pain with the nails in his hands and his feet. We so often skip from the cross right to the resurrection and we celebrate Easter morn. But in between these two wonders, these two miracles, that the Son of God would be hung on a cross and that the Son of God would rise from the dead is posited this truth that Mark does not want us to miss. And that is that Jesus truly was dead. He really did die. So you might be asking, okay, so you've made the argument, at least Mark has, that Jesus died. But what does that mean that Jesus died? Maybe you're thinking it means that he ceased to exist. The answer to that is no. Death is not that you cease to exist. That's not the Christian understanding of death. And before we actually look at what death is, I want you to remember where death came from. Sin and death. Sin and death are inextricably linked together. Death entered the picture all the way back in the garden. Adam was warned, you'll remember, that sin leads to death. And these two ideas were brother and sister. One leads to the other. The Apostle Paul, writing of this very idea, helping us to understand, says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, all sinned. So he further establishes this idea that sin leads to death. You'll notice that every single human being ever born was a, is now is a sinner, save Jesus Christ himself. And you'll also notice that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. In other words, death is God's legal response 
to sin. Death is, in fact, separation. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because when a loved one dies, they are separated from us. And even more than that, if they die in their sin, they are separated from God. And so we see physical death and spiritual death. But the key part that we should remember is that death is separation. And so because of our sin, God passes judgment on us by removing his life-sustaining grace. And when he does so, our bodies are lifeless. And so there is a physical death in a sense, a lifeless body. And then there's a spiritual death as well. And that's separation from God the Father. And so now having a little bit of a better idea or understanding of death, consider these two aspects of death against Jesus and his experience there on that first Good Friday. First, the physical sense. You might be asking again, you're thinking, well, that one question we mentioned earlier, how could Jesus die if he is God's son? Again, if by death we mean a cessation of existence, then no, Jesus or God did not die. That's not what we understand. Jesus was God in human form. God having taken on flesh. And in fact, when Jesus died on the cross, his spirit separated from his body. It in fact took place. His body, the body that Joseph buried, was lifeless. His spirit had separated from it. He cried aloud and he gave up his spirit, the scriptures tell us. And so physically speaking, the son, the second person of the Trinity, Trinity, he left the body that he temporarily took unto himself here on earth. And his divine nature did not die, but he in his humanity did. His spirit separated from his body. But remember that death is more than just the physical. It's something that we in our physical existence will all face. But there's something more to it than that. There's also the spiritual aspect as well. And so let's consider Jesus dying in a spiritual sense. And so we ask the question, did Jesus die spiritually? This is an incredibly large question, but the short answer is yes. He was subject not only to physical death, but also to spiritual death in that Jesus experienced separation from the Father, at least in some sense. And you remember as he agonized in the garden and great drops of sweat and blood poured from his brow, as he considered the separation that he would experience from the Father. There in the garden experiencing that sensation, the pleasure that he had enjoyed in community and communion with the other parts of the Trinity now being separate from him. And what about when Jesus died on the cross right before when he cried out on the cross as Mark records, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We addressed this text just this past week. But what I'll remind you of is that his shout revealed a feeling of God-forsakenness. This implies that Jesus, in his human nature, Sensed instead of divine love between, he, he sensed the divine wrath of the Father that was bearing down upon him. In a punitive, legal sense, the Father 
withdrew from the son. Jesus was forsaken by God the Father. He was experiencing spiritual death. And during the pain of that aspect of death, Jesus gave up his spirit and succumbed to physical death. These two events that we would call dying, these are the events of Good Friday. And Jesus really did go through them. The Father didn't just pretend, called Jesus to put on a show so that we would know how serious things were, and yet in the end, he really didn't die. That was just to show you how serious things really could be. That's not what's taking place, not in the slightest. Jesus really did die. So Mark has worked to establish the the facts surrounding the burial of Jesus. And the burial is so important because what it does for us is it confirms the death of Jesus Christ. It makes sense, doesn't it, that there's no resurrection on Easter, on Sunday, if there is not first a death and a burial. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 4 say this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So there's no Easter unless there's first Good Friday. There is no life if there is not first death. Burial always precedes resurrection. Darkness always precedes the dawn. And brothers and sisters, that's a principle of the kingdom. It's a foundational principle of the kingdom of God. The same kingdom that Joseph of Arimathea was looking for. The truth is that Jesus' death, his actual death, opened the kingdom of God which was long promised, and it was open to those who would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus. Not open to those who would become better people on their own, but those who would admit that God and what he says about their sin, that it really is sin, and that they would look to Jesus for salvation from God's wrath. And so he died the death physical and spiritual, that we deserved. And now, brothers and sisters, we can enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, as I said a moment ago, that dear Joseph was looking for. And so we see from this text that Jesus really did indeed die. We're not looking at the resurrection tonight, but we are looking at a well-established, well-documented fact that Jesus died. And we would say theologically attached to his death is that now that he has died for his church, we can enter the kingdom of God. So let's look at this second question. Did Joseph find the kingdom? Do you ever watch a movie And it's asked some questions or brought some questions up. Maybe introduced some idea to you and you just say, I wonder whatever happened. I thought they would circle back in the movie and address, did that person live? Did they ever make it to that 
thing they were trying to get to, and maybe you just have this feeling like, I just would like to know the answer. I kind of feel like that when I read this text. Joseph of Arimathea is looking for the kingdom of God. Well, did he ever find it? Well, scriptures don't explicitly say one way or the other, but I want to Verse 43, speaking of Joseph of Arimathea, says that he was a respected member of the council. And this council was referring to the Sanhedrin. It's referring to the 70 plus the chief priest, right? It's the group that voted to condemn Jesus to death. And though the scriptures say that they agreed together to condemn Jesus to death, we can assume from this passage here that Joseph of Arimathea was not a part of that. And so in their quorum, they voted yes. So I would assume from this text that Joseph was not there. Perhaps as they sneakily met in the evening, Joseph wasn't called because, called because maybe they knew that he was in somewhat league with Jesus. Or maybe he decided not to go altogether knowing what the topic would be. At any rate, I think it's safe for us to say that he abstained from the vote. It says that he was looking for the kingdom of God. And that reminds me of what Jesus says, the gospel of Mark chapter 1 verse 11. John, looking at Jesus, declares that the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus, speaking of his own life, says very clearly, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Verse 15, repent and believe the gospel. This is Jesus' own message. It's a well-documented prophecy, the kingdom of God. We see it throughout the Old Testament. It's further developed in the New Testament, this idea that there is a godly, messianic king that the Lord himself will send to his people. And they will be his people and he will be their God. And so when John speaks of this incredible closeness of the kingdom of God, breaking through, he's speaking of the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus claims again, he claims that for himself in verses 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1. The very gospel that we're working through. So how does one enter the kingdom according to Jesus? The kingdom that is so close, the kingdom that is at hand, through repentance and believing the gospel. Gospel, you'll remember, it simply means good news. Repent and believe the good news. To repent, it's a fancy word, it, it means to turn away from, and really, at its core, it's a mental shift. Once I saw it this way, but now I see it another way. Repentance is beginning to see that Jesus actually died on the cross to atone, to cover the sin that you commit. That's repentance. You once saw sin as a thing of pleasure, and now you see sin as a thing that incurs the wrath of God on your Savior. It's repentance. And Jesus says, that's how you enter the kingdom. You see your sin on the back of Jesus. You change your mind about it. And what about this believing piece? Faith. It's that God indeed provided Jesus as a covering for your sin. So these two things, repentance and faith, they go together hand in hand. And it is, in fact, how you enter Jesus' kingdom. 
And so we're asking the question tonight, did Joseph enter the kingdom? And I truly believe that he did. And here's why. Because those who are in the kingdom of God, those who are in Jesus' kingdom, will naturally work to make the invisible kingdom of God visible. And they'll do that through small acts. And they'll do that through big acts. It's what we do. We see the invisible kingdom and we act accordingly. And so maybe instead of saying, did Joseph enter the kingdom, maybe we should change the question and say, did Joseph act in such a way that he made the away from this text saying, indeed he did. Well, let's look a little deeper. Verse 43, it says, he took courage and he went to Pilate and he asked, he asked for the body of Jesus. That's a remarkable statement. And I'll give you a few reasons why quickly. Why is that so remarkable that he took courage and went to Pilate asking for the body? Well, one, it's because his request is against Roman law. Jesus is a criminal. He's an enemy of the Roman state. So because of that, the very thing that Joseph is asking for is illegal. Furthermore, he's not even a member of the family. There were particular instances where a criminal who had been crucified could, at the request of family, be given a proper burial. Now, if you were an enemy of the state, you would not be given that. But yet some would. But even so, Joseph was not in that category. He's not a family member of Jesus. There's no ties to him. And yet he still goes risking his own reputation to do this. And really that's the third thing I would say. The, the third reason why this was a courageous act because he would reveal his secret loyalty to Jesus. Which would in turn take his prominent standing in the community and cause it to be questioned. If not destroyed altogether. And so what does all of this point to? What is Joseph seeing in Jesus? Well, he's seeing in him the kingdom of God. He was looking for the kingdom, it says, and he found it in Jesus. Consider this thought. Think about this. When Pilate saw Jesus, what did he see? He saw a rabble-rousing peasant. But what did Joseph see when he saw Jesus? He looked past the visible he looked past the crown of thorns and the bloody purple robe and he saw Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he saw him ushering in the kingdom of God. I would ask you this evening, when you see Jesus dying on the cross, do you see a confused fanatic needlessly dying and maybe not dying at all? Or do you see the kingdom of God being opened to or by the king? 